Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed. Welcome, everyone, back to this podcast, and I want to greet you in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, and be able to continue this study of Paul's letter to the Galatians and look at what God is saying. And remember, as we go through these chapters, do not be fixated upon the chapter divisions. There is a flow of thought that's taking place that's running through this whole letter and study it from the beginning to the end. It is so important that we understand what Paul is saying in this letter because it's building a foundation of our faith. This is written nine years before Paul's letter to the believers in Rome. And every principle that you are going to see in this letter, you'll find in the book of Romans as well. So we're going to continue. As we finish Galatians chapter 3, at the end of it, it is talking about the intent of the law. If you go back into chapter 2, remember that your relationship with God through the Messiah is greater than going back to an identity through the law. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's the Messiah that lives in me. In this life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave up his life for me. Understanding a life in the Spirit through the Messiah living within us is so greater than going back and trying to understand our life through the law. So at the end of chapter 3, we went through this understanding of the intent of the law, how it is a guardian, that it is a tutor, that it led us to the Messiah, and that we are justified, we are made right with God through faith in Yeshua, the Messiah, and that we have clothed ourselves with him. It's not just Christ in us, it's taken on every aspect of his life. We are clothing ourselves with the Messiah. And then it brought us to this great understanding that we need to realize every day within our lives. It's not about if I'm a Jew or I'm a Greek. It's not if I'm a male or I'm a female or that I am bond or free. Those are not our identities primarily. Our identity is through the Messiah because we are all one in Christ. And when we come to God's salvation, we need to understand this. In all of our churches and our congregations, it's not about what background you're coming from. It is about Christ in us. It's about taking on his life and identifying through him. And I refuse to have any other identity except through Christ. The last verse, and if you belong to the Messiah then you are Abraham's descendants, heirs according to the promise. And it's always been about a promise, a faith, and a covenant. We're going to continue that thought process, but I want to say I have Yoni with me again here today. And I'm going to ask Yoni if you would read the first seven verses that we're going to read in chapter 4. Now I say, as long as the heir is a child, he does not defer at all from a slave although he is owner of everything. 
but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by the Father. So also we, while we were children, were held in bondage under the elemental things of the world. But when the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. As we're reading these statements by Paul, I want to encourage you to read Romans 6, 7, and 8. Because all of the principles that we are covering through Galatians are really going to come alive in those three chapters as well. Now remember the flow of thought here. The Galatians are primarily Gentiles that have come to faith. And they came to faith by the preaching of the gospel, the forgiveness of sins. And they received the Spirit of God through faith. If you go back to chapter 3, verse 1, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Verse 2, Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing with faith? It is so important in Pauline teaching his understanding of the new covenant and what has been fulfilled through the Messiah, it's all about God's Spirit coming within us and changing us from the inside out. So now, people from Jerusalem, Jewish believers, who have a different understanding, now remember that they are believers, but they are not coming with the true gospel, go to the region of Galatia, the southern region of Galatia, And they began seeing what Paul and Barnabas and their preaching and their ministry and what took place. And they are amazed that they did not circumcise them of the flesh. They are amazed that they did not start teaching them the identity through the law. That's how I'm going to describe it, their identity through the law. And so that they began circumcising them and saying, as we get to Acts chapter 15, because this is going to come to a major point of confrontation within the early Jewish believers, they say that you're not saved unless you take the circumcision of the flesh. And so they start bringing a different gospel. And what Paul is doing as he's continuing with this is that he is saying that the descendants of Abraham are according to a promise. Now remember, God promised the Gentiles that they would come to know the God of Abraham, that all the families of the earth would be blessed through the seed of Abraham, which is singular, which we understand is the Messiah, the seed of Abraham. And so it's been about a promise. Now, did they receive the Spirit of God through the law that was given at Sinai, Or did they receive the Spirit of God when they put their faith in Yeshua, the Messiah? And so he's reminding them. Now he's coming to bring an analogy of about a person being in bondage and a person that is set free. The person that is set free is going to be set free by the Spirit of God, by a spirit of adoption, whereby we cry out, Abba, Father. And he's going to remind them that the law was a guardian that led us 
and released us to the Messiah. And if you want to go back to the law for your identity, for your understanding of your salvation, you're going to put yourself back into bondage and you're not going to be released to the freedom that we have in the Messiah whereby we can cry out, Abba, Father. Yoni and I had a big discussion about this, about in our culture of not understanding the the relationship between a father and a son. We live in a very demonic culture that teaches children that when you get older, you're to live the life that you want to live and not in respect and honor to your father. In fact, think with me for a moment. Every show that you watch The father is always the dumbest person in the room. The father always has it wrong. And the children are always going against the father, and the children are always right. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about today. I'm not talking about 40 years ago, 50 years ago. There is a demonic, deliberate attempt within our culture to destroy the concept of a father. You have to realize in this culture, in this context, they are writing to people that would understand how important it is to have a relationship with your father. And we have the spirit of God with inside of us that the law could never give us. The spirit of God where we have been adopted into God's family and we are sons, sons through adoption, And that we can look to God and cry out from our hearts and to understand from our hearts that God is our Father. How does that contrast to what sonship and fathership would look like in in, in this time and age? Well, we're, we're looking at two different cultures. One, we're looking at the Hebraic culture that Paul is writing from and the Hellenistic culture uh, of the Greek culture that he's writing to the recipients. But in both of these cultures, there is a much stronger understanding of fatherhood than what we have today. I mean, it's night and day, the difference. A son growing up, even in a Hellenistic Greek culture, their pride and joy is honoring the father and that the father is pleased with them. Today, we're growing up in a culture that we're going to live the life that we want to live. And the Father is there in order not to guide us and direct us, but to develop us in a way to live our own lives. Mm -hmm. So there's a separation between honoring the Father, the life of the Father, and the Son, where in these cultures, they're one and the same. So if I was growing up in that culture... I'm growing up. I want to honor my father. I want to do what is pleasing to my father. I want to have the blessing and the inheritance of my father. That is so critical to the story of Esau and Jacob. If you read the Hebrew, the inheritance of Isaac for Esau, it had no value to him. And how evil that was within that culture, within that time. He was a self-sufficient man, and the inheritance of the father didn't have much value to him. It says it had no value to him. But to Jacob, the inheritance had value. In fact, he would be willing to be deceptive to receive the blessing of the father. Now, when we go back into these cultures, now Abraham's about 2,000 years before this time in which Paul is writing Abraham, Isaac, and then we're looking at Jacob, Israel. But that culture perpetuated. 
And the understanding of the father as the head, the father and the blessing and the inheritance of the family flowing from the father to the son is still here very strongly. Mm -hmm. Today, we just want to get out of the home, live our lives, fulfill our destiny, and not in submission to the father or even in an aspect of honoring the father. Would you say that the modern concept, I, I, I assume it's modern, but would you say the concept of a father should empower me to do what I want to do, would you say that that's completely unheard of in, in the context of Galatians? I, I would. I would say not that it's unheard of. A godly father, a father that loves his son, is not just about telling the son, this is what you're going to do with your life. This is who you're going to marry. This is how your, your life is going to continue. It's not about that. It is about directing the son and raising up the son to be the person that God has called him to be. But from the son's perspective, and remember, Paul is writing to people that are coming into sonship. The son is all about fulfilling their destiny through the inheritance and the promise and the authority of the father. Hmm. And they would never step out of the blessing of the father. And so the two have to go together. And today we're living in a totally different culture. This is what is wrong when we, when we talk about hermeneutics of trying to see what this means to me today without first understanding what it meant at that time. In that time, there was a specific time, many people believe, that there was an announcement, this is my son. And the son, who was always the son, comes into a greater understanding of the father and the son relationship. Mm -hmm. But the son is never abandoning that relationship with the father. In fact, to go outside of that, according to the law, think about this, to speak evil of your father and your mother, according to the law, coming back to the law, you are to be stoned. When you look at that, it shows how important that the son, the children, honor the will and the direction and the reputation and the character of the father. Mm -hmm. And when we look at this, we're not talking about an earthly father. We're talking about God Almighty that is holy and everything that he does. He has adopted us through the Messiah, mm -hmm. through a life in the Spirit, and I can look at God and say, Abba, Father. This is my heavenly Father. Do you feel it now? Do you understand it in the sense in which it was written in that day? Could you give me some more of your thoughts about the term Abba? There is debate about this, and I've heard a lot of people just preach automatically. This is a more intimate term, Daddy, Father. I'm not so sure historically we can say that. I do think that there are some things that do lend towards that understanding that it's a more intimate term. But what we can say is that we're looking up to God and we can say, Abba, Father. We can say, this is my Father. I am the Son. I'm part of His family. This is His kingdom. All of the rights in His kingdom, in His family, belong to me. And I do believe that it's a more intimate understanding of this. Can we say it automatically? I'm not sure we can say that, but it is something that is very precious and very special. Mm -hmm. So I, I hope you see this because 
As Yoni and I were talking about this passage before we came into this, can a person look at this and say, okay, I have the spirit of the Father with inside of me through the Messiah, through the Son of God. Can I now go out and live any way that I want to? Absolutely no. Now, Paul's going to bring this out very strongly later on in the difference between the fruit of the Spirit versus the deeds of the flesh. Fruit of the Spirit, singular, deeds of the flesh, plural. And he's going to bring it out very strongly in Romans as well. A life in the Spirit is not fulfilling the deeds of the flesh, but it's a relationship with God that the law can never give you. Only through the forgiveness of sins that comes through the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit living with inside of us where we can cry out, Abba, Father. I told Yoni there's little wiggle room in this at all. You can't come out of this and say, I can live in sin because I'm not under law. No, you're in a greater understanding of it. It's a life in the Spirit where everything that you do is to honor God, your Father, Abba, Father. Think about Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live but it's Christ who lives in me. How does Christ live in me? How does the Messiah live inside of me? Through a life in the Spirit. In this life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave up his life for me, the one who redeemed me and purchased me by his blood. He lives inside of me, and now we are sin. we can cry out, Abba, Father. Praise God. Not any wiggle room to go live any way that you want to. There's not any wiggle room to say, but now I can go live in sin. No, just the opposite is being taught by Paul to the Galatians. Now let's look at verses 8 through 11. And Yoni, if you don't mind, could you read these verses? Sure. However, at that time, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those things which by nature are no gods. But now that you have come to know God or rather to be known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and worthless elemental things to which you desire to be enslaved all over again? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. I want you to think about what Paul is saying here and think about the understanding or the characteristics of the new covenant that God promised to the Jewish people. If you look back in Jeremiah 31, the chapter 31, verses 31 through 34, one of the signs of this Brit Hadashah, this new covenant, is that you will know God from the least to the greatest of anyone that comes into this new covenant because he will forgive you of your transgressions and your sins he will remember no more. So we know God. If you do not know God, if you do not have a relationship with God, then you have never come into this new covenant. You may know things about God, and you might have gone to a Torah class or gone to a a study of the Hebrew Scriptures or the new covenant. You might have studied it, but that doesn't mean that you know God. Only when you come to this forgiveness of sins and you understand who God is through the forgiveness of sins, can you know God? This is what Paul is referring to or talking about. You know God, but even more that God knows you. How can God know you? How can God have a relationship with you? It comes through the forgiveness of sins. How did that forgiveness of sins come into your life? 
How did the Spirit of God come into your life? It came through faith in Jesus Christ, the one who died for you, the one who gave up his life for you, who is resurrected, who lives inside of you, not through the law. So if you want to go back to observing days and months and seasons and years and understanding your identity through these things for salvation, you're in a lot of trouble. And this is what he says in verse 11. I fear for you that perhaps I have labored over you in vain. Now, this is something that captures people sometimes. And I go into congregations that they say, we teach your Hebrew roots. I turn to them and I say, I want you to understand that my Hebrew roots is the Messiah. It's not the dietary laws. It's not the feast. It is not the Mosaic law. It is not the rabbinical law. It is not any of these things. It's not the judicial laws, the kosher laws, the sacrificial laws. It is not even the moral laws. The moral laws cannot even be fulfilled in my life except a life through faith in the Messiah, through the Spirit of God. My Hebrew roots is Yeshua, is Jesus. And if you try to make my Hebrew roots anything else, we're going to get on the wrong track, and we're going to end up in a place that we should not be. Mm -hmm. And when I say that sometimes when I'm preaching and teaching in these congregations, I see people getting upset because they've started to move from their identity in the Messiah to an identity through the rabbinical law or through the Mosaic law. And that's not what brings the Spirit of God within my life. It is faith in Jesus Christ. Now, let's read verses 12 through 20. And I think today, because we're going kind of long here, we'll finish in verse 20. But let's read these verses. I beg you, brethren, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You have done me no wrong, but you know that it was because of a bodily illness that I preached the gospel to you the first time. And that which was a trial to you in my bodily condition, you did not despise or loathe, but you received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus himself. Where then is that sense of blessing you had? For I bear you witness that if possible, you would have plucked your own eyes out and given them to me. So have I become your enemy by telling you the truth. They eagerly seek you, not commendably, but they wish to shut you out so that you will seek them. But it is good always to be eagerly sought in a commendable manner, and not only when I am present with you, my children, with whom I am again in labor until Christ is formed in you. But I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. In these verses, you see so much about the character of Paul, and you see it in his other writings as well. He loved these individuals. He was so concerned for them. You see how he continually in 2 Corinthians, prays daily for the churches, for the congregations, the people that have come to faith. And you see it here as well. When he preached to them the first time, he had bodily illness. And we see this in the text, that sometimes God will even use things that are happening within our lives to put us in a position to preach the gospel. They receive Paul as an angel of God, a messenger of God, as Christ Jesus himself. When Paul preached, they understood the good news that Jesus preached was coming through his life to them. And they believed him and they were eagerly seeking him. 
And so we look at this. They believed him to the point if he told them to pluck out their eyes, they would have done it. There was such trust in what Paul was saying represented the things of God. Now this is being distorted. And Paul is concerned. He's writing to them as children, spiritual children, whom he labored for them, that they would come to know Christ, and Christ formed within them the life of Christ. But now in verse 20, but I could wish to be present with you now and to change my tone. Right now, he's speaking very strongly and rebuking the Galatians, or more specifically, rebuking these teachers that have distorted the gospel and that are bringing them into confusion. He wants to change his tone, for I am perplexed about you. He is perplexed about what is happening. They began with the Spirit of God. And now they are trying to be perfected in the flesh. It is a different gospel. My identity is through Christ. My Hebrew roots is through the Messiah. Everything about my life, a life in the Spirit, is because of Jesus the Messiah. And that will never change. My identity is not going back to the law. My identity with God, where I can cry out, Abba, Father, is a life in the Spirit that comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Tomorrow, when we begin in verse 21... We're going to see an allegory that expresses this principle. But I want to close with a prayer here today. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, not by many ways, but by one way, through your Son, the Messiah. And we come in the forgiveness of sins because in Him the righteousness of God has been brought to our lives And we stand complete in Him. We stand finished in Him. It is finished. And we thank you, God, for the everlasting salvation that we have in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you for this. Let this be the gospel. May we never forget the truth of the gospel and go for a different gospel. God, keep us rooted and founded on the truth of who Jesus is, our salvation. It's in his name we pray. Amen. If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at integrity global missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.